0: Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The Oilers have great fans, we know that. and The best fans in the game need the best content. You can go live and behind the scenes with Oilers Plus, access live pra- uh, practice coverage, pre- and post-game shows, behind-the-scenes original series, and much, much more. You can subscribe now at OilersPlus.com using the promo code All caps, Oilers now for a uh, three-day free trial. And guests on the show receiving certificates to Roost Chris Steakhouse now open Tuesday through Sunday from 5 until 10 p.m. Chris and Chef Haltaf will take care of you. Roose Chris, whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night in the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. We welcome back to the show one of the most popular guests we have, sports and color analyst Louis DeRusk for GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbochargers at great prices since 1972. GCLDiesel.com. Hello, Louis. How are you doing? Doing well, Bob. How are you doing?
1: Good. Good to be back. Did you you back uh, in Chicago for the first time in a bunch yeah. of years.
0: When's the last time you were here? March 4th, 2020. Oh, that's right, because we did an event. Yep. We had the owners now road trippers on that trip to Chicago as well. Uh, I remember... um, coaches showed up for it and the Oilers played the Hawks and that was a year in which Chicago won two of the three regular season games between the two teams and then of course kind of sort of upset the Oilers in the bubble little did we realize we'd never see Oscar Kleffbaum play again in the NHL there were several players that actually didn't even want to come back and play and Tampa would go on and win the Stanley Cup that year yeah we, we were in here Louis I was here for five days last year this is where I tested positive, yeah. barely having COVID, and had to spend uh, five and a half days here at this beautiful hotel, and it is a nice hotel, so there's yeah, worse places nice to be than the peninsula. Yeah, all this right. That was the last trip, so, actually, Bob,
1: in 2020, before things shut down. Um, I remember it yeah. uh, all too well, and that's kind of how you landmark where you were when that went down and the pandemic started, and this was the last road trip that was made before the NHL cut the season down, and obviously, the world as we
0: know it shut down for a few years lily i have a total curveball to throw your way to start uh this segment okay go for it and it ha- it has to do with leon dry settle and connor mcdavid okay. because i remember when i went and saw leon play prince albert came into edmonton twice late in the regular season 2014. And Corey Cluston, who, who's you know, used to play for the Alberta Golden Bears, I did his games too, later would coach Ottawa and then coach Prince Albert. And he said to me, "Stoff, when a player as talented as Drysettle comes from Europe and plays in Prince Albert, it tells you how bad you wanna play. And he's also gonna be way better than everybody thinks. <laughs> that was a pretty prophetic yeah. statement. And I think of Connor McDavid going to Erie, where there's been players that refuse to go to Erie because it's not the sexiest of locations in the Ontario Hockey League. And this is actually a cautionary tale to parents out there right now that might have talented kids. You can't manipulate the system. I don't think you can. Jake DeBrusque went to Swift Current. There's some players that didn't want to go to Swift Current over the years. But there's Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, and they were so committed to their craft. The focus was on hockey. They went to some tough markets. Those are markets that don't get every kid. And maybe it was a precursor of things to come in terms of how badly they wanted it. Am I completely out to lunch, or does no, it maybe reveal a little? What do you think? I think it reveals a lot. And you, you hit the nail on the head when you said
1: it was about hot. There's also a loyalty uh, from the team that drafts you, that wants to bring you into the organization. There's a loyalty factor there, too. That's the team that picked you. That's the team that wanted you. Uh, I'm not saying there wasn't other teams that wanted all of those three players you mentioned, but at the same time, that's the team that selected them. So, for me, that goes a long way, too. You go and play with the team that wanted you, there's a, there's a loyalty Factor there that you want to go and be that player for them. For Leon will come from a different country, not always easy, and and came over here and had a desire to be the best possible player he could be. And yeah, it was great watching him in junior. I got to see him a lot, and I'll be honest, I didn't know if he was going to be able to do the things in junior in the NHL. But obviously, he's lived up to that and, and done more. In my in my opinion, he's really flourished and become a superstar in the game. When he was a dominating player in junior. it was ridiculous how he dominated. I mean, Connor McDavid, the trajectory was a little quicker with him. We knew it instantly as a, an exemption player in the Ontario Hockey League to go in there and do what he did as a young player. We knew it was only a matter of time before he was going to be in the NHL and doing what he did. My son, same thing. He went into a small market team in Swift Current, and it was about the hockey. And that's one thing Mark Lang, who was a gentleman management coach at that time, told me when he called me on draft day. He said, listen, Swiftie is a hockey town. These guys come in here. It's focused on hockey. It's a small town. They gather around their team, and it's a great place to really hone your skills and work on your game and learn the game of hockey at the junior level. And that's exactly what Jake got out of that experience in Swift Current. So, I, you know, listen, I, I really believe that, especially Leon and Connor, um, there's an expectation, desire for them to be the best they can possibly be, and to be the best in the game, and that's what that's what makes, it drives them each and every day to come to the rink, to work, to put it out there, and we've seen that now. And in seven years, they've the team one game scoring, which has been incredible.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, top two scores in the league since the start of the 16-17 season, and this is where the uh, listener to the show, it's maybe not of a fan. Of the Oilers goes. Why haven't they won yet? Why haven't they won? And look, I work for the Oilers nah. Entertainment Group. It's simple. They haven't built a good enough team yet around those two players because hockey's an unforgiving sport where you need a lot of depth. And it's you just it's it's not basketball where if you got three of the best players in the world playing on one team, you have a chance to win a championship uh, instantly, right? It is a different sport.
1: Hundred percent. I'm just going to say, if this was not a salary cap era. I would tell you right now that the Evans owners have already won a stand top maybe two, so, with honor and, and Darnell and Ryan Nugent, Hopkins, and the nucleus that's here. They would surround those guys with the players they see fit, they need to, and they go out and pay to get them brought into the team. That's not how it is now. You have to build different ways, and it makes it much more difficult, which you tip your hat at the organizations that have been able to do it. But if you look at the organizations that have won, they've had to pay a toll they had to pay a toll with grinding through some very, very tough years before they became relevant, before they learned how to win. And I'll bring up the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's a team that just, you know, eventually, over time, figured out how to win a 1-2 Stanley Cup to a final in the third year. The Colorado Avalanche, you who know, took them off that pedestal last year, they, they had some growing pains. There was mega growing pains. Jared Bender took, over, took them six years to kind of get that team playing the right way. And finally, be able to finish it off in the Stanley Cup final. And I, I look at the evidence Oilers no different. You have to learn how to win, and I really do believe that step last year was a huge step, although some people wanted to say, whatever, it's the conference final. No, it's not just the conference final. Getting to the final four is a big deal. Now, I know the players here look at it and say, that's obviously not what they're here to do, but they learn an extreme amount in that jury to get to there, and they're going to even learn more in the fact that they lost the eventual Stanley Cup winners. I just think that's what you take with you into the summer. You understand you have to be better. You have to be more detailed in your game. And I think early on we're already seeing that with this team where each game they get pushed. They push a little harder. They start to play more into their system. They start to take over games. Uh, It's already gotten to that point early in the season whereas I thought it took longer in the season to get to that place last year. And that's a good sign. That's a good sign that the players understand what they have to do to be successful in this league on a consistent basis, not only game to game, but year to year. And it it is tough. It's a very difficult league right now to build a championship team because you obviously have to get lucky on some of the acquisitions you make, on some of the uh, draft teams that you pick. Somebody has to flourish that you didn't really expect to flourish. People have to be pushing from the bottom and you have to have your superstars play at the top of their game. So you have to all come together. But I, I agree. I think if you look back in the 80s and the 70s, when the Oilers first came into the league, it took that dynasty of a team five years to win a Stanley top. So think about that. The greatest player that ever played the game, Wayne Gretzky, was surrounded by, you know, well, not arguably, he was voted as that team was the best team ever in the history of the game. It took them five years to figure it out as a bunch of young people and, I see no difference here with this team or any team that's trying to figure
0: out how to win a very difficult league. You mentioned Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay's done a good job drafting late. Yeah, They've been ruthless. in ter- Even, like I'll give you an example, even the Hagel trade, like they went and got Hagel, they gave up a couple of conditional number ones and and Chicago's going to get those picks in the next two years. Uh, but, but Chicago had to give up number fours back like Tampa Bay still got draft capital back from Tampa. They've been ruthless in who they've moved out. More ruthless than people can even believe in terms of who they've moved out. And they've, at the end of the day, they still have a massive tax advantage over a team like the Montreal. I won't even use, I won't even bring it from an Edmonton perspective. I'll bring up Montreal and the tax rate at what happens there for players that play for the Montreal Canadiens versus the tax concessions that ultimately Stephen Samkos got to stay in, in the state of Florida because they have no state tax. It's a significant difference of dollar that Tampa Bay exploits. And, and I don't want to diminish what Tampa Bay did. They've been an excellently run organization. But they do have advantages even in the current cap situation. And I think many of the listeners fundamentally understand that and don't think it's fair. Think, think if you're going to do, if having a revenue sharing league, there has to be a factor in terms of how free agency works when some jurisdictions have a state tax and other provinces and jurisdictions don't have a state tax. So it, 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 it ends up giving an unfair negotiating advantage for for ufas out of the marketplace and players that'll potentially look at waving their no i'm not even going to talk about the weather i'm just talking pure dollars at the end of the day well
1: and the weather's not too bad either i played there for a year and i loved it one of my favorite places to play was tampa bay for different things you know i'm an outdoorsman so i saltwater fish I freshwater fish it was just it was amazing in that regard it was a, a different environment from coming from six years playing at edmonton in the canadian market to go to Tampa bay now listen at that time they weren't the team they are now. It took them to 2004. We were a little responsible for that victory, I think, by uh, playing so poorly that they got to the draft first goal for all the next year. But, yeah, I agree with you, Bob. I understand that. It certainly is an advantage, and they're not apologizing for it, and they won't apologize for it. I'll go even a little further, though. And I'll say the hiring of John Cooper. Right? He's the longest tenured coach in the National Hockey. And I think that goes a long way. Jared Bednar, six years behind the bench at the Colorado Avalanche before they won a Stanley Cup you have you have to allow people to come into an organization and do it their way and let them figure it out i think nowadays there's such a turnover with coaches that it's just it's incredible to me how it's such a win now philosophy and if you don't you're out when you have to learn to win and play the right way in order to win on a, you know, a consistent basis I, I just i don't think it's a fluke now i know craig burby in 19 with over a team took over a pretty darn good team that wasn't playing well and they fired on all cylinders to get to that point point in the Stanley Cup in 19. I understand that can happen, lightning in a bottle, and he's a good coach and he's there still. And he's still, you know, working on that team's identity to make sure they're playing the right way on a daily basis. He was not a happy uh, customer when we talked to him yesterday after the loss in Winnipeg. And I'm sure he he would have liked the effort last night for this team, but that's the expectation of a good team. Losing isn't an option. You know, they, And that's what I think the mentality right now is happening with Edmonton is there is a huge expectation on the players. And there's a belief that they can play to a certain caliber because they've done it. And now it's a matter of doing it on a more consistent basis and being that, having that identity. When we talk about good teams, we always talk about identity. How do they play? You know exactly how to play. Well, now the league is starting to really figure out this Edmonton Oilers team has an identity. And it's not just Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl; It's the way they're playing the game. And Connor and Leon have to change some of the things they do, too, and still not sacrifice the offensive production, which is incredible. Um, and that's what makes them so tough to play.
0: We're joined by Louis DeBrusque for GCI uh, GCL Diesel. Uh, Louis DeBrusque of NHL Hockey and Rogers. Bob Stauffer with you in Winters now. Louis, yesterday Mark Spector was on the show. We kind of did a workaround on the conversation in Chicago. We all know what they're they're sticking with the plan, regardless of the 4-2 and two yeah. start to the year. It's highly likely that maybe first Hayes, then Kane, ultimately get traded. If I'm running the Hawks, I don't move Kane until the trade deadline because he helps sell tickets between now and then. Um all that and so we talked around specifically around Jonathan Taze and, and Speck said, Well, who better for Ryan McLeod to learn from than Jonathan Taze to be a you know a third line cent, you know a center? Uh and Speck got a fair amount of blowback on that from people saying, What the hell are you talking about? He's already a third line center. He had a good playoff last year. Where are you at with Ryan McLeod right now, Louis? You know what? I uh I like
1: his game. I like his confidence. I like what he's bringing to the team. I think that he's allowed Jay Woodcroft to elevate Ryan and Hopkins on the left-hand side, which, let's face it, Bob, I know he's a centerman naturally, but he's a heck of a left-winger. Top two, I would say he's even with Evander Kane for me. Like, Evander Kane and him are interchangeable on that left side. It's a dominant left side the think he got Zach Hyman as a natural left-winger, too, and he's playing his offside right now, and he's doing a darn good job. And I know he's a right-handed shot, but he is more comfortable on the left side. But... Because of Ryan McLeod's play right now, Jay Woodcroft felt very comfortable putting him in a lot of situations. And every single game that he plays, he's gaining more confidence, he's gaining more experience, and he's looking like a real player, which, you know, for me, is, it, it's the way you want to see a player develop. He, he's come in, he's jumped around the lineup, he's been elevated, he's been down. I think he's in the perfect slot right now, and I think he's flourishing in that role. And that line got a huge goal in the game last night. That was a big goal. Fogle drove wide, put it through there, pull Irving got a tip on the Darnell Nurse shot. I mean, that's the production you want to have, which makes you a very deep team. You can match up against McDavid, you can match up against Dreisaitl, the best that you possibly can, but when you have a third line that's playing the way Fogle right now is, and it was only a matter of time before he got in the score. He's really starting to find that game, and I really like his battle level. I, I think he uh, he was frustrated last year. I think it was a, a year for him where he expected more from himself. It just didn't go his way. But what did he do? He looks leaner to me. He looks stronger. And he's starting to really fight for loose pucks. He's a big body. He's, a, he's really a workhorse around the net. And I, and I think Zach Hyman being in the lineup, watching what he does on a nightly basis, is great for Warren Global. Because he understands and if he plays that simple, simplified, sorry, hard nosed game around the net, Things are going to start to go. He got robbed by Bennington last night at the blocker. He should have have had a goal and assist last night. Easy. But that's the type of production you get. And I do believe Ryan McLeod is a big part of that. One of the fastest guys in the league. Effortless skater. He's still got some learning. There's no question you you, want to make sure you're doing it the the right way and not rushing him too fast. But I think he's in the perfect spot right now. He's always a guy that can jump around for you. So he's a versatile guy. And I like his game a lot.
0: Louie, final question for you. Three hundred and ninety seven career games. You'd been in the minors the entire two thousand one, two thousand two season with the Quebec Citadels and the Hamilton Bulldogs. Can you maybe educate the listeners on who went to bat for you so you could get to that magical four hundred game NHL plateau, which, you know, helps with a little bit of the retirement money.
1: <laughs> you know, it was it was funny because I started to do my own contracts, to be honest with you, Bob, and I started calling general managers and um, I feel terrible. I Smith was the general manager in Chicago at that time, and I didn't know Link him. Smith. I just, yep. yeah, Mike, Smith, I didn't know him. I just, you know, called him because he was down on the list, and I mean way down on the list. So I had a list of every general manager, every team, and I sat in my office with the encouragement of my wife kicking me in the butt saying, listen, go make these calls and start tracking down, and I called Mike Smith, and I said, listen, I'm looking for an opportunity. I'd like to come in. I still think I got some game left, and he said, give me 15 minutes, i will call you back. I signed a contract with them a week and a half before training camp started. We had to rush my paperwork through for um, um, obviously uh, your, your uh, I-94 or whatever it is called now. Uh, work needs. didn't go down in the state to work. I went into camp and it was a very tough group. And the reason why they were way down on my list. It was Prober. It was Vanderbilt. It was my own line. Jason Strug was there. Sean Fort was in the organization. I mean, we had a very physical deep team, and I thought, that's why I'm not going to call them to the end because I just didn't think there'd be an opportunity there. But I had a great training camp. Brian Sutter was the coach. Toughest training camp I've ever been through in my life. Full figure it was a center training camp, and uh, I made the team out of camp, played four games, and Denny Savard on my 400th game was at the United Center um, came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder. He was so aware of what was going on with the guys and congratulated me before the game, because I wasn't saying anything to anybody. I wanted to make sure I got that game in before I uh, – before I played, before I played, because I didn't want to get pulled out of the lineup. But I love the Hawks. You know what? It was—it's uh, an original 16. Uh, it was—it was special for me to put that jersey on for only four games. But I wish I would have played there longer. And that was part of the dark years of the organization before the Kings and the Tays came along and really rejuvenated the franchise. Um, but uh, I, I, it's a special place for me because I did play my 400th game there. And you know, and as you mentioned back in the day, that was kind of the. the the number you wanted to get to for um, pension back in the national. There's a new one now in regards to the NHL, but back then that was the grandfathered one, and it took me 12 years, Bob, but I got it.
0: You played 401 more in the NHL than I did. You're a lucky man, Louie. Lucky to have Cindy, too. She's stuck with you every step of (laughs) the way. Yep. I don't (laughs) want to do that, bud. All right, you all kicked your coverage. Thanks a lot, man. Take care, man. You bet. That's Louis DeRus from NHL Hockey and Rogers for GCL Diesel. Bob Stoffer, Brennan Escott joining you. Twelve fifty-four in Edmonton. Still to come. Evander Kane. Sit down one-on-one. Colby Cohn, He's an analyst on the Chicago Blackhawks broadcast. John Shannon, our NHL insider for Legacy Heating and Cooling. We'll return with some of your texts when we get back. In Orders now. Twelve fifty-six in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you in Orders now. It is time, that's right, it is time to play Oilers Game Day Trivia, brought to you by Ming Shine. Keep your vehicle looking and feeling brand new with a new vehicle protection package. Book now at mingshine.com. Here's how this works. Up for grabs a $50 GC and bragging rights. With Oilers Game Day Trivia from Ming Shine. You need to text the answer to 780 496 so, it has an Edmonton tie in on two different fronts. That's your hint. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Duncan Keith led the Chicago Blackhawks in time on ice for 16 straight seasons. All 16 years he played for the Hawks before coming to the Edmonton Oilers. In the 03 04 season, which local area product was the last man to lead the Blackhawks in time on ice in a season? prior to the 16 straight years run by Duncan Keith. Some of you may have had kids coached by this guy locally. 780-496-0063 on our Ashley Five Floors text line. Again, name the player who led the Hawks in time and ice in 0304 after which Duncan Keith led them in time and ice 16 straight seasons. We will head off to a global news, weather, traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back, a one-on-one conversation with Edmonton Oilers forward of Andrew Kane and then from the Hawks Television Network, Colby Cohn, you're listening to Oilers Now.